Our gracious Father in heaven, as we have gathered today to recognize our belief in Thee, that we believe that Thou art real and spiritual, all-knowing, all-powerful, and present in our midst, as Thou hast promised to do so. Where two or three are gathered in Thy name, we have come, Lord, not only to worship Thee, to recognize that worship, but also to look into Thy Word, to have it proclaimed as Thou hast commanded us to do so, and to do so, Father, with more fervor as we see the time approaching for Thy return. So we ask Thee, Father, to bless us now as we are all together with this purpose. In Jesus' name, amen. With the Lord's help, I'd like to read from the Gospel according to Mark uh, in the 13th chapter. Beginning with the verse with verse one. And as he went out of the temple, one of his disciples said unto him, Master, see what manner of stones and what buildings are here. And Jesus answering said unto him, Seest thou these great buildings? There shall not be left one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. And as he sat upon the Mount of Olives, over against the temple, Peter and James and John and Andrew asked him privately, Tell us, what, when shall these things be, and what shall be the sign when all these things shall be fulfilled? <clears throat> and Jesus answering them began to say, Take heed, lest any man deceive you. For many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. And when you shall hear of wars and rumors of wars, be ye not troubled, for such things must needs be, but the end shall not be yet. For a nation shall rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and there shall be earthquakes in diverse places. And there shall be famines and troubles. These are the beginnings of sorrows. But take heed to yourselves, for they shall deliver you up to councils, and in the synagogues ye shall be beaten, and ye shall be brought before rich rulers, before rulers and kings for my sake, for a testimony against them. And the gospel must first be published among all nations. But when they shall lead you and deliver you up, take no thought beforehand what ye shall speak, neither do ye premeditate. For whatsoever shall be given you in that hour, that speak ye. For it is not ye that speak, but the Holy Ghost. Now the brother shall betray the brother to death. And the father, the son, and the children shall rise up against their parents and shall cause them to be put to death. And ye shall be hated of all men for my namesake, but he that it shall endure unto the end, 
the same shall be saved. But when ye shall see the, the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, standing where it ought not, let him that readeth understand. Then let them that be in Judea flee to the mountains, and let him that is on the housetop not go down into the house, neither enter therein to take anything out of his house. And let him that is in the field not turn back again for to take up his garment. But woe to them that are with child and to them that give suck in those days. And pray ye that your flight be not in the winter. For in those days shall be affliction such as was not from the beginning of the creation which God created unto this time, neither shall be. And except that the Lord had shortened those days, no flesh shall be saved. But for the elect's sake, whom he hath chosen, he hath shortened the days. And then if any man shall say to you, Lo, here is Christ, or lo, he is there, believe him not. For false Christs and false prophets shall rise and shall show signs and wonders to seduce, if it were possible, even the elect. But take ye heed, behold, I have foretold you all things. But in those days, after that tribulation, the sun shall be darkened, and the moon shall not give her light. And the stars of heaven shall fall, and the powers that are in heaven shall be shaken. And then shall they see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with great power and glory. And then shall he send his angels, and shall gather together his elect from the four winds, from the uttermost part of the earth to the uttermost part of heaven. Now learn a parable of the fig tree. When her branch is yet tender and putteth forth her leaves, ye know that summer is near. So ye in like manner, when ye shall see these things come to pass, know that it is nigh, even at the doors. Verily I say unto you that this generation shall not pass till all these things be done. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word shall not pass away. But of that day and that hour knoweth no man, no, not the angels which are in heaven, neither the Son, but the Father. Take ye heed, watch, and pray, for ye know not when the time is. For the Son of Man is as a man taking a far journey, who left his house and gave authority to his servants, and to every man his work, and commanded the porter to watch. Watch ye therefore, for ye know not when the master of the house cometh, at even, or at midnight, or at the cock crowing, or in the morning, lest coming suddenly he find you sleeping. And when I say unto you, I say unto all, watch. I have read the entire chapter. We live in a time that is tenuous, precarious, uh, difficult to fully understand because we are so bombarded with so much information that we don't even know how to properly respond to the information that we receive. And by that I mean that hundreds of years ago when you, you and I, or, or man lived in, in his surroundings, whether it is in, in, a, in a heavily populated area, 
or, or somewhere else where there wasn't a great population where perhaps the technology did not reach to its full level of advancement, we didn't have the level of communication that we have now in which we, could we have the privilege of knowing what's happening everywhere across the earth. And when we look at history, when we look and study history and we look at the things that happened in history, particularly the, the, uh, the conflicts that man experienced as nation rose up against the nations to, to conquer and to, and to spread their, their kingdoms, and we read about the problems that would happen in one quarter of the earth and how the other quarter of the earth was completely oblivious to what's happening over here simply because at that time in history it was not not possible for that information to, to be transmitted. It would take uh, decades, maybe even a whole century before this group of people learned what happened here 100 years ago. And when we read history in that context, we, we, we have a distance, we place a distance between ourselves and what happened. And we um, are free to experience emotions such as uh, sympathy, or, or maybe a desire that, you know, perhaps if we were there or we could have uh, helped to uh, prevent these, these, these events that occurred that caused significant harm and hurt and pain to individuals. But today, we actually experience that. We see that information firsthand. We know of, of the riots that are happening in, in different parts of Eastern Europe. We know of the persecution that's happening to people who wish to have free speech in, in certain countries that are repressive. We know we, we have this information given to us at, at, at completely in our face with all its graphic description of how man kills man, how man takes life. And we hear that, that, that in the center of Kiev and Ukraine, 70 people died, and now we've become so desensitized that we just put a number to it. And we don't realize that, that when, when somebody dies out of those 70 people in that square, that there was a brother or a sister or a father or a mother that died. And there was a consequence to that death. It wasn't just a number. It wasn't just a person. And we don't just tally the number of people that died. There are, there are collateral damage. There are, there are, there are emotions that are felt that, that we become so desensitized to as we hear this information come to us over and over again. And the reality is that we, we are overwhelmed by this information that we almost become... Um, numb and we don't respond and that is a dangerous situation to be in <clears throat> the world is becoming a very dangerous place to be in because we are becoming so, so numb to things that are happening around us that are simply not right and we feel a sense of uh, willingness to almost put blinders on as if we didn't see it. You know, when you see, yeah, I, I think of the, the, the image of a, of a child in an in a, in a elementary school play. The child has to go up to the stage and is very, very shy and, and walks up to the stage and puts his blinder on like this and looks this way so that, you know, he doesn't see the, the, the people in the crowd and, and, and they, don't see, they don't see him, so he has no reason to be. Uh, shy or, or feel embarrassed. And 
That is, in some ways, what's happening to us and to the world is that we are hearing and seeing so much that isn't right, that isn't proper, and we almost turn our, turn our eyes to it, turn our ears to it. We don't, away from it, we don't, we don't want to necessarily think about it longer than we need to. Because if we would, we would come to the realization that how can we just sit still? How can we just sit still and, and be simply observers of history in the making and bad history in the making for that and do nothing or feel nothing? Worse, worse is to feel nothing for what is happening. And there are those in the world that would take advantage of that situation and, and want to play on our emotions and take advantage of, of man's uh, soft spot, if you will, and, and create a, a hype situation. And for every, every instance, there's always, there's always an element of truth on both sides. And we know now, because we've learned so much, that we can never trust the media we can never trust the printed word that we have on the newspapers. Every single newspaper you read has a bias, has a political bias and a political slant. Every magazine you read has a bias and a political slant. Uh, recently, I, 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 was, I was seeing a documentary on the history of Israel and the nation put together by, by a reputable uh, broadcasting corporation, uh, probably the top in the world, and it was so biased towards the, the Palestinian cause. And, you know, and a very recent documentary at that. And you can see that unless you, unless you make, take the effort to really dig up, dig the truth, you will be misguided. You will be uh, deceived, to be frank, by the information you read in the media. You have to be very careful. And so there is, there is a hype. <clears throat> and there's a hype right now within uh, so-called evangelical Christian circles. There is a hype right now towards, you know, the, the, the coming events that are, that are preceding the return of Jesus Christ. And I, I, I feel compelled to talk about this simply because what does the Bible really tell us? And, you know, unless we look at the Word of God, we would, we would, we would get swept up by these hypes. And not to, not to belittle the importance of the return of Christ, but, but the scripture clearly tells us that who do we need to be, how do we need to act in the times that we live in, particularly when we know that his return is near. The Bible tells us, and Jesus tells us here, he uses this operative verb, which is to watch. He is, in many ways, uh, defining your role and my role in the times that precede his return as watchmen, those that take up the occupation to watch and to observe the signs and the events that are unfolding in our time. And we don't do this because we want to, be, um, we want to become alarmists and, and proclaim something in order to, to have a following after us, but rather the, the, the watching is a very personal, has a very personal responsibility, a very personal consequence to each of us. I'm going to read a few verses from, from the letter to Peter. 
<clears throat> from 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 10. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought ye to be in all holy conversation and godliness, looking for and hasting unto the coming of the day of God, wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat? Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth, wherein dwelleth righteousness. Wherefore, beloved, seeing that ye look for such things, be diligent, that ye may be found of him in peace, without spot, and blameless. So we are to be diligent. We are to be hasting unto the coming of the Lord, which means that, that we are preparing ourselves for that return. Jesus Christ, and, it, and, it, and oftentimes the, the analogy is made that Jesus Christ is coming as a thief in the night. Whereupon, if the owner of the house knew precisely when the thief would come, he would have prepared himself and would not have let, not allowed his house to be broken into. So we need to prepare ourselves. We need to know that it's coming at a time we do not anticipate. Jesus Christ, the Bible says, that he himself doesn't know. The scripture that we read in Mark says, neither the angels nor the Son of God knows when God is going to say to his son, now it's time. Now it's time for you to go. And so if neither the Son knows nor the angels, and that tells us, the Bible's telling us that we need to prepare ourselves and we cannot take it for granted. That whatever we are doing now will, will suffice his return. It means that we need to examine ourselves. It means that we need to be even more diligent, more careful about the way we are living our lives. It means that we need to, we need to give doubt to, to any, any preconceived ideas we may have and, and search the word to make sure that we are in the faith. It doesn't mean that we, we hype up. It just means that we are more careful. We go back to the basics. We go back to the scripture. We ask God again to, to reopen his, open his scripture to us, to open our eyes that we may see ourselves the way we really are. That is the first step that we need to take in being diligent. <clears throat> in, in the gospel according to Luke, the similar scripture, Jesus says, As we read in Mark, the fig tree is used, um, it's used in the parable of the fig tree that, that when we see the leaves sh uh, shoot forth, that we know that summer is near. So in other words, when we see the, the uh, signs, when we see the leading indicators of a trend, we take heed, we pay special attention, we... we um, devote thought and, and, and um, attention to this matter. That's what taking heed means. It means that we are devoting thought and attention to this matter. 
It's not something that we just glance at, that our eyes glance at and bounce off and we don't give it a second thought. No, the Bible says, take heed. When you see the leaves shoot forth, you know summer's not. Take heed. When you see the signs, take heed. Give thought and attention to the signs that are before you. But not just for the sake of the signs, but that you go back and start looking inward at yourself. That we are prepared. Jesus in Luke says, chapter 21, verse 34, he says, And take heed to yourselves, lest at any times your hearts be overcharged with surfeiting. And I know perhaps some of you will say, well, you know, Brother Allen, you're always, you often come to this verse. And I do. You're right. You, I, 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 I cannot help coming back to this verse. Because I, I believe this, this verse, this verse is only really applicable to the times that precede the return of the Lord. It is always applicable to all of us because we never know when we're going to go meet the Lord. We never know when our last, last breath will be. We will never know when we exhale the last verse. So this verse is always continually standing. It's just like a standing order. It's always applicable to any of us. But generally, as far as a, a timeline is concerned, it becomes so much more relevant as the timing of the Lord draws near. And here it says, take heed to yourselves. Devote thought and attention to this. Lest at any time your hearts be overcharged with surfeiting and drunkenness. So we talk about the word surfeiting, which means to to, um, be overcharged or to be uh, intoxicated. To be in a a sense where you are um, so over-influenced by by things in your life that you are not aware, that we are not aware. We, we become less aware. And this is very dangerous. Because here it tells us what are the things that could weigh us down, which means to be overcharged, and that could cause us to overindulge. Overindulge such that our senses, in particular our spiritual senses, become dull. And this is, we're, we're talking about spiritual things now. When Jesus Christ warned his disciples, prepare yourselves, take heed, he is talking about spiritual things. He says here, lest at any times your hearts be overcharged, over, weighed down and, and with, with surfeiting, with in, overindulgence and, and drunkenness and the cares of this life, and so that they come upon you unawares. So in other words, these are the things that can cause you to be spiritually dull and not have the perception you need to see the leaves shooting forth and that summer is near. It says here that you can be, uh, you can be weighed down with overindulgence. That's what overcharged with surfeiting means. And you yourself need to look at that. I need to look at that. What does it mean? What is what is over? What am I overindulging in? Almost like being intoxicated, but not. And we're not talking about drugs here. In some cases, it may be. It may be a, a substance abuse. But generally speaking, it is being weighed down by overindulgence in something in our lives that are causing us to lose perspective spiritually, that are robbing us of the ability for us to focus and have clarity in our mind, be able to see the situation and the issues before us with clarity. 
And so when we overindulge in the affairs of this life, we lose clarity and we make the wrong decisions. We make mistakes in judgment. And overcharged with surfeiting and drunkenness, so now this is explicit, we are talking here about a substance abuse, and cares of this life. This, the cares of this life is an all-encompassing statement. We all have cares of this life. From, from the, the young persons, students here that have the cares of, of meeting their grades in university to, to the middle age that, that have the cares of, 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 their, of their parents and their children and, and meeting the immediate demands of life to, to the elderly who may have certain cares associated with the uncertainty of their health and who will be, who will be taking care of them. Cares of this life are common to all, but they cannot weigh us down. They cannot cause us to lose sight of who ultimately is in control. And the one who is in control is God. And his, his timeline continues to take on. He is, he is allowing events to occur in the way that he planned them. In, in the book of Acts, Apostle Paul, when he was on Mars Hills, when he talked about, uh, when, he, when, he, when he spoke to the Athenians, in a way, when he reached out in, in an evangelical message, he says to them, and, and, he, and he talks about the, the, the origins of man here, and he says, um, God that made the world and all things therein, seeing that he is the Lord of heaven and earth, dwelleth not in temples made with hands, neither is worshipped with man's hands, as though he needed anything, seeing he giveth to all life and breath and all things, and had made the one, that means one person, one blood of all, all nations of man for to dwell on the face of the earth, and had determined the times before appointed and the bounds of their habitation. God is completely, altogether, entirely in control of the destiny of, of man and humanity, of civilization as we know it, both past and future. And God has allowed man to rise and fall, kingdoms to rise and fall, nations to conquer other nations, nations to conquer other nations. And he's allowed all these things to happen. And, he's in, and he puts limits on these things, just like he puts limits in the life of man. He gives us complete freedom, and he gives us complete choice to do what we want to do, but within those bounds, he says, but you are man. And man has has limits and bounds and consequences that come that arise out of decisions we make. He places that on us. He is completely in control. And it may at times seem that God is not in control. But he is completely in control. And so he is, he is in control of the things that are happening. He is in control of the events of this life. And so... The word care, which means to, to place special attention to, to be concerned with, to be careful about, needs to be placed in its right perspective. And I know, and I am not saying this theoretically, I am not speaking in, in terms that, that have no application. I know, because I'm human just like you, how easy it is for us to worry and to care about the affairs of this life and to have them 
have an inordinate importance in our lives, such that we lose sight of who is in control and of God's will. So Jesus is saying, careful. Pay special, devote, not, not just think about it, devote time and effort to understand these things in your lives, lest you become caught. He says here, because... The next verse in 35 of Luke says, For as a snare shall it come on all them that dwell on the face of the earth. So it's going to be like a trap. And in other verses that we read, if we were to read in Matthew and, and in, in, in other sections, we find that when Jesus Christ comes back, the world is going to continue on as it always has. People will, will, will get married, will give into marriage. People will make plans about weddings. People will make plans about, you know, owning their homes, having a family, uh, running their own business. People, it, the scripture makes it very clear that people will ignore the signs all around them and will continue to try to behave as if nothing is really happening and that we need to continue on and, and, and chart our course because this is all we have in this world. The Bible says that that is like a snare, that when it comes upon the world, it'll be like a trap. When Jesus Christ comes back, it will be like a trap. And Jesus said in Luke, he says, For a snare, as a snare shall it come on all them that dwell on the face of the whole, whole earth. Watch ye therefore, and pray always that ye may be accounted worthy to escape all these things that shall come to pass and to stand before the Son of Man. Now, what I'm going to say next is my opinion. And I just want to make that clear. It is my opinion. I do not subscribe to the belief that the church is going to be taken away before any major events occur. I don't believe it. And I don't believe the scripture supports that. The, the, there is a prevailing view among evangelicals, particularly American evangelicals, and I'm not saying anything here against any nation, that, that which is called the pre-tribulation rapture, which means that before any of these major woes or sorrows or problems occur on the earth, that the church isn't going to be here. God is going to rapture the church, take it away. We don't have to worry about these things. The scripture does not say that. Jesus Christ makes it very clear that we have to be very careful and that we have to trust and depend on him. The Bible, if we were to put the Bible together, gives us a, a view of the things that are going to happen in the future. The first thing that started the clock to the end times was the formation of the nation of Israel in 1948. That was the fulfillment of a major prophecy in the world. It was the fulfillment of Ezekiel 36 in the Old Testament and other scriptures, primarily. When Israel fought a six-day war in 1967 in which the Israeli Defense Force defeated the five Arab countries around them, including Iraq, uh, with a preemptive strike, in that battle, it captured Jerusalem, which was also a prophecy. Without the capturing of Jerusalem, because it didn't have it in 1948, it would not be able to fulfill the final prophecy required in the restoration of the nation of Israel, which was the building of the temple. And the Bible tells us 
that, that Israel will rebuild the temple. We read that after the, build, the temple is built in, in, in Mark, that they will be a sign to us. They will be a sign to the children of Israel. They will be a sign to the world, to the Christians. But when ye shall see the abomination of desolation spoken of by the island, standing where it ought not, which means standing in the temple, which is the defilement of the temple, and it is believed that that is the defilement of the, the son of perdition, the Antichrist that will declare himself to be God in the, in the rebuilt temple, these are the signs of things to come. So we know that there's the restoration of the nation of Israel. There's the capturing of, of Jerusalem, the holy city, and, 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 and the ability now to, to put in motion the rebuild of the temple. Today, although I have not validated this, but from what I have read today, all the material needed to build a temple is sitting in warehouses. And there's a lot of money waiting to flow from United States particularly New York, all the way to Jerusalem in order to rebuild this temple. All that's needed is to go ahead. The Dome of the Rock is the biggest obstacle that sits right now with the rebuilding of the temple. But the Dome of the Rock, which is the, one of the holy sites for the Muslims, sits in the court of the Gentiles, the, the ancient court of the Gentiles of the Temple of Herod during the time of Jesus. So, so practically speaking, the temple can be rebuilt without any issues with the Dome of the Rock. The Bible tells us that there are going to be three major battles that are going to happen in the future. And we need to be aware of this. Psalm 83 talks to us about a battle that will, will deal with Israel and their immediate surrounding neighbors. They will be a confederacy. It's described as confederacy. And we see now... Uh, a few years ago, we, we were all witnesses. These are the signs of the shoots coming forth and the, that tells us the summer is near. We were witnesses to the Arab Spring. Fifty years ago, in 1948, or even in 1917, when, when, when the UK or, or, or England was, was the, the one that was in control of Jerusalem and, and Israel at the time, or in that time, Palestine, as they called it, the, the, the British the British mandate that they had during that time, during the First and the Second World War, no one would have perceived in their mind of what happened in the last few years called the Arab Spring, where all these dictatorships from Libya to Tunisia, uh, Egypt, and, and now they're trying so, so hard in Syria, would be overturned and would be, would be run by Islamic states. Nobody would have predicted that. But two years ago, two, three years ago, when the Arab Spring began to roll, we see the signs and the events. Psalm 83 talks about a war that Israel will have with its immediate neighbors, a war that Israel will have and will defeat their immediate neighbors. And immediate neighbors referred to as confederacy, a confederacy that has one purpose. It hates Jehovah, and it wants to destroy Jehovah's people. That's what Psalm 83 tells us. Ezekiel 38 and 39 talk about a, a following war that happens after that. A war that mentions um, a nations, the nations of Magog, a ruler called Gog, the ruler of Gog, um, his princeship. It talks about other nations that will confederate with him. It refers to Persia. It refers to uh, Ethiopia. It refers to Libya. It refers to the, 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 the tribe of Gomer, which today some people believe is actually Germany. 
And for perhaps with the pretense of oil, these, these events are going to happen. And God says, and if we, we had time in Ezekiel 38, and I think it's important that we once in a while talk about these things, as we are doing now. God is going to bring Gog and Magog and all his, his allies down to Israel, and God is going to destroy the armies that ally themselves with Magog. It is believed that Gog and Magog is Russia. And some of the uh, current Russian federation of states that currently Vladimir Putin is trying to put together. And that's one of the biggest struggles we have with the Ukraine right now. Again, these are sh- shoots shooting forth from the branches that tells us these events are happening with a reason. Half of Ukraine wants to join the EU. The other half wants to be loyal to Russia and become part of the Russian Federation of States. All part of this fulfillment of Ezekiel 38. Russia, God is going to destroy those armies, the Bible tells us in Ezekiel 38. It will take approximately seven months to bury the dead. Seven months to bury the dead. Israel will expand its border and Israel will burn the weapons of war from the invading armies for, for seven years, the Bible tells us. Seven years. Then the final battle that will come, you've eliminated the major thorn in the flesh that Israel currently has, which is and, and all its neighbors, just look at the map. Israel right now is completely surrounded by Islamic nations that share one thing in common. They want to push the Israelis out into the Mediterranean seas. That's what they want to do. They have explicitly stated that. In fact, Iran is the only nation who is a member of the United Nations that stands up in the building in New York and says that they want to destroy another member of the United Nations publicly. And, if you, and I, would, I would encourage you to listen to one of the speeches made by Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu in Israel who quotes the scripture from Amos who, who, who in, in the public of the United Nations of all those delegates, he quotes the scripture, he reads it in English, then he reads it in, in Hebrew and he tells them that we are an ancient people 4,000 years old that we, we, we come back, we go back to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. This is in front of the delegation of the United Nations, he tells them. He says, you know, he says, and he reads Amos that, that today we are a fulfillment, he uses the word explicitly, literally, of biblical prophecy, the restoration of the nation of Israel. And we will never, he states, we will never be uprooted again. It is, it is incredibly inspiring what he says. We are living in these times. God will empower the Israeli Defense Force, the IDF. They will deal, as Psalm 83 states, with the five or six Islamic nations that surround them. Israel, at that point, may have complete course to rebuild the temple as the immediate threat of those that hate them is dealt with. Then we have Gog and Magog. Russia and his confederacy will come down. God then deals with Gog and Magog, not the IDF, not the Israeli Defense Force, but God. 
And then the last battle that the Bible speaks about is Armageddon. After you've eliminated the Islamic threat, after you eliminated the ambitions of world domination by Vladimir Putin or whoever he is replaced by by that time, if he is, you have no one else left in the world but the Antichrist. And the Bible tells us that the Antichrist himself, at that point, the, the temple is rebuilt. He, he, is, he, he proclaims himself to be God, and that is the beginning of the end, the last three and a half years of the seven-year tribulation period. The Bible says that the, Euphrates, the river Euphrates will be dried up to make way for the 200 million soldier army from the kings of the east that will come and will, will reach their full focus in Jerusalem or in Israel along with the Antichrist. And then Jesus will come. Jesus will come back in the clouds with victory. And these are the things that the scripture tells us we need to be aware of. And in all this, in all this, Jesus tells us, watch. Watch ye therefore, for ye know not when the master of the house cometh, at even or at midnight or at the cock crowing, or in the morning, lest coming suddenly he find you sleeping. What I say unto you, I say unto all, watch. Now why would Jesus tell us this if we're not even going to be there? Why would Jesus bother to tell us this if we're not going to be here to see Psalm 83 fulfilled, Ezekiel 38 fulfilled, and the rest of the scripture fulfilled in, in, in the return of Christ? Why do we need to watch? Why do we need to care whether the cares of this life are, are causing blindness spiritually to us and we fail to see the events? Why do we need to take heed when the apost- when Apostle Paul preached on Mars Hills, notice in his, in his words that he doesn't even use the word Jesus. He preached to a completely pagan crowd, an evangelical message, and he doesn't even use the word Jesus. He doesn't even tell them who it is that's coming. He says that there's going to be a judgment, however, that for all these things God winked at. He winked at the ignorance of man. You can no longer be ignorant. It is impossible You must be willingly ignorant to look at the facts that are before you. The restoration of Israel, as Netanyahu said in front of the UN, the fulfillment of Amos, the prophet. How can it be possible that a a country, a, a, a a people who have been scattered, the diaspora throughout the whole of the face of the earth, finally have their nation come back to them and their holy city? And it's all happening in our time. It's all happening now. And I tell you, you may wish to ignore this. You may wish to say, you know, it's chance. It's chance that Israel is a nation today. It's, it, it doesn't, you cannot draw conclusions or draw a correlation between the fact that the, na- the children of Israel exist today, that their nation, that they live in a nation called Israel, and that there's an Old Testament that describes their whole history and that they have a God that's described uh, explicitly and intimately in their book called, called the Old Testament. You, don't, you cannot draw any correlations. You may think that way. But let me tell you. Let me tell you. You just have to do the math. <laughs> you just have to do the math. If you do the math, 
and you play a game of probability, you realize that it's improbable that Israel is restored again. It is improbable that they are ready to rebuild the temple. And it will be almost an improbability to have predicted that when the, belt, when the temple is being rebuilt, if you need to wait till then, if you need to wait till then to be fully convinced in your mind that, okay, I will now believe the message of Jesus Christ. I will now prepare myself. When I see them rebuilding the temple, I will then take this seriously. You may not have that option. You may not have that opportunity. When Apostle Paul preached the Mars Hills, he said, and God winked at our ignorance, the ignorance of man, who, who had all evidence before him that God existed, and God placed that evidence in front of him, nature, creation, the longings inside you, the reality of sin that shackles us, our will and desire to do good but not being able to carry it out, the evil that's ever rampant in front of us that we see in clear evidence, all those things that cause us to grope, or as Apostle Paul said on Mars Hill, to feel, which means to grope as in darkness, to feel after God. I, I, I want him I have a sense of wanting to feel the presence of God, but I'm in like in a dark room and I can't find my way. So what I do is I touch in order to, in order to um, find my way around, in order to give myself a sense of reference. And God said, okay, that time of ignorance is gone. You no longer have to grope in a dark room. You can now understand clearly the message is preached. Jesus Christ is the Savior. He is the one that died for the consequences of sin and rose again. He's been appointed the judge to judge man for man's actions in his bodies during the time that he lived on here on earth. And he's coming back. And before he comes back, he's given us a whole bunch of signs to watch for in order to make sure that we are ready for him. These are the things that we need to be aware of. And we need to be serious. And we need to take heed. We need to devote attention and thought to these things. That's what take heeds means. Devote attention and thought to these things. The times that we live in are serious. And we need to think about them. May the Lord bless his word. Amen. We have something different. Our God did not just give us some beautiful thoughts on a page. He entered time and space with his son, demonstrated concretely in provable ways that he is God, that he loves us, and that we're forgiven, and he even rose from the grave. And nowadays, we of all people are without excuse as we have heard so clearly proclaimed this morning, there is evidence in time and space that God is at work fulfilling his prophecies. His word is true. And the challenge to us was, are we ready? Are we sober? The question is, are we overcome? as we have so much information about his workings, 
We also have so much privileges, so many distractions, so many things we can overindulge and dull our senses and distract ourselves with. I think the message has been very clear that we need to, to acknowledge the fig tree that's budding and also look in our lives and get rid of the things that choke us from being ready for his imminent return and for proclaiming to others also. I just want to read two verses from the song that was, uh, was asked, verses 5 and 6 of 185. As pilgrims we must wander from earthly burdens free, else as we journey yonder our path would trying be. He fails who will not heed, the least can satisfy us. All things we would deny us, save what we truly need. Adorn your hearts with graces, let house and self alone. Ours are but strangers' faces, and soon we shall be gone. Lo, ease but leads astray, so humbly bear each trial, and practice self-denial in this short pilgrim day. May the Lord work in each one of our hearts and prepare us for his imminent return. With that, we conclude this morning's service.